This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Lone Star Ranger by Zane Gray, Chapter 21 Before going to sleep that night, Duane had decided to go to Ord and try to find the rendezvous where Longstreth was to meet his men. These men Duane wanted even more than their leader. If Longstreth, or Cheseldine, was the brains of that gang, Poggin was the executor. It was Poggin who needed to be found and stopped. Poggin and his right-hand men. Duane experienced a strange tigerish thrill. It was thought of Poggin more than thought of success for McNelly's plan. Duane felt dubious over this emotion. Next day he set out for Bradford. He was glad to get away from Fairdale for a while. But the hours and the miles and no wise changed the new pain in his heart. The only way he could forget Miss Longstreth was to let his mind dwell upon Poggin, and even this was not always effective. He avoided Sanderson, and at the end of the day and a half he arrived at Bradford. The night of the day before he reached Bradford, number six, the mail and express train going east, was held up by train robbers. The Wells Fargo messenger killed over his safe, the mail clerk wounded, the bags carried away. The engine of number six came into town minus even a tender, and engineer and fireman told conflicting stories. A posse of railroad men and citizens, led by a sheriff Duane suspected was crooked, was made up before the engine steamed back to pick up the rest of the train. Duane had the sudden inspiration that he had been cudgeling his mind to find, and, acting upon it, he mounted his horse again and left Bradford unobserved. As he rode out into the night, over a dark trail in the direction of Ord, he uttered a short, grim, sardonic laugh at the hope that he might be taken for a train robber. He rode at an easy trot most of the night, and when the black peak of Ord Mountain loomed up against the stars he halted, tied his horse, and slept until dawn. He had brought a small pack, and now he took his time cooking breakfast. When the sun was well up he saddled Bullet, and, leaving the trail where his tracks showed plain in the ground, he put his horse to the rocks and brush. He selected an exceedingly rough, roundabout, and difficult course to Ord, hit his tracks with the skill of a long-hunted fugitive, and arrived there with his horse winded and covered with lather. It added considerable to his arrival that the man Duane remembered as Fletcher, and several others, saw him come in the back way through the lots and jump a fence into the road. Duane led Bullet up to the porch where Fletcher stood wiping his beard. He was hatless, vestless, and evidently had just enjoyed a morning drink. "'Howdy, Dodge,' said Fletcher laconically. Duane replied, and the other man returned the greeting with interest. Jim, my hoss is done up. I want to hide him from any chance tourists, as might happen to ride up, curious-like. Ha, ha, ha! Duane gathered encouragement from that chorus of coarse laughter. Well, if them tourists ain't too durn snooky, the hoss'll be safe in the Dobie shack back of Bill's here. 
Feed thar, too, but you'll have to rustle water. Duane led Bullet to the place indicated, had care of his welfare, and left him there. Upon returning to the tavern porch, Duane saw the group of men had been added to by others, some of whom he had seen before. Without comment, Duane walked along the edge of the road, and wherever one of the tracks of his horse showed he carefully obliterated it. This procedure was attentively watched by Fletcher and his companions. "'Well, Dodge,' remarked Fletcher, as Duane returned, "'that's safer than praying for rain.' Duane's reply was a remark as loquacious as Fletcher's, to the effect that a long, slow, monotonous ride was conducive to thirst. They all joined him, unmistakably friendly. But Nell was not there, and most assuredly not Poggin. Fletcher was no common outlaw, but whatever his ability, it probably lay in execution of orders. Apparently at that time these men had nothing to do but drink and lounge around the tavern. Evidently they were poorly supplied with money, though Duane observed they could borrow a peso occasionally from the bartender. Duane set out to make himself agreeable, and succeeded. There was card-playing for small stakes, idle jests of coarse nature, much bantering among the younger fellows, and occasionally a mild quarrel. All morning men came and went, until, all told, Duane calculated he had seen at least fifty. Toward the middle of the afternoon a young fellow burst into the saloon and yelled one word, Posse! From the scramble to get outdoors, Duane judged that word and the ensuing action was rare in Ord. What the hell? muttered Fletcher as he gazed down the road at a dark, compact bunch of horses and riders. First time I ever seen that in Ord. We're getting popular like them camps out of Valentine. Wish Phil was here, or Pocky. Now all of you gents keep quiet. I'll do the talking. The posse entered the town, trotted up on dusty horses, and halted in a bunch before the tavern. The party consisted of about twenty men, all heavily armed, and evidently in charge of a clean-cut, lean-limbed cowboy. Duane experienced considerable satisfaction at the absence of the sheriff who he had understood was to lead the posse. Perhaps he was out in another direction with a different force. "'Hello, Jim Fletcher,' called the cowboy. "'Howdy,' replied Fletcher. At his short, dry response, and the way he strode leisurely out before the posse, Duane found himself modifying his contempt for Fletcher. The outlaw was different now. "'Fletcher, we've tracked a man to all but three miles of this place.' tracks as plain as the nose on your face found his camp then he hit into the brush and we lost his trail didn't have no tracker with us think he went into the mountains but we took a chance and rid over the rest of the way seeing ord was so close anybody coming here late last night or early this morning nope replied fletcher his response was what Duane had expected from his manner, and evidently the cowboy took it as a matter of course. He turned to the others of the posse, entering into a low consultation. Evidently there was difference of opinion, if not real dissension, in that posse. "'Didn't I tell you this was a wild-goose chase, coming way out here?' 
protested an old hawk-faced rancher. Them hoss tracks we follered ain't like any of them we seen at the water tank where the train was held up. I'm not so sure of that, replied the leader. Well, Guthrie, I follered tracks all my life. But you couldn't keep to the trail this feller made in the brush. Give me time, and I could. That takes time. And here you go hell-bent for election. But it's a wrong lead out this way. If you're right, this road agent, after he killed his pals, would have ridden back right through town. And with them mailbags, supposing they was greasers. Some greasers have sense, and when it comes to thieving, they sure cute. But we ain't got any reason to believe this robber who murdered the greasers is a greaser himself. I tell you, it was a slick job done by no ordinary sneak. Didn't you hear the facts? One greaser hopped the engine and covered the engineer and fireman. Another greaser kept flashing his gun outside the train. The big man who shoved back the car door and did the killing, he was the real gent, and don't you forget it. Some of the posse sided with the cowboy leader and some with the old cattleman. Finally the young leader disgustedly gathered up his bridle. Aw, oh, hell! That sheriff shoved you off this trail. Maybe he had reasons, savvy that? If I had a bunch of cowboys with me, I tell you what, I'd take a chance and clean up this hole. All the while, Jim Fletcher stood quietly with his hands in his pockets. Guthrie, I'm sure treasuring up your friendly talk, he said. The menace was in the tone, not the content of his speech. You can and be damned to you, Fletcher, called Guthrie as the horses started. Fletcher, standing out alone before the others of his clan, watched the posse out of sight. "'Luck for you all that Poggy wasn't here,' he said as they disappeared. Then with a thoughtful mien he strode up on the porch and led Duane away from the others into the bar-room. When he looked into Duane's face it was somehow an entirely changed scrutiny. "'Dodge, where'd you hide the stuff?' I reckon I get in on this deal, seeing I staved off Guthrie. Duane played his part. As he was a tiger after prey, he seized it. First he coolly eyed the outlaw, and then disclaimed any knowledge whatever of the train robbery other than Fletcher had heard himself. Then, at Fletcher's persistence and admiration, an increasing show of friendliness, he laughed occasionally and allowed himself to swell with pride, though still denying. Next he feigned a lack of consistent will-power, and seemed to be wavering under Fletcher's persuasion, and grew silent, then surly. Fletcher, evidently sure of ultimate victory, desisted for the time being. However, in his solicitous regard and close companionship for the rest of that day, he betrayed the bent of his mind. Later, when Duane started up, announcing his intention to get his horse and make for camp out in the brush, Fletcher seemed grievously offended. "'Why don't you stay with me? I've got a comfortable doby over here. Didn't I stick by you when Guthrie and his bunch come up? Supposing I hadn't showed down a cold hand to him. You'd be swinging somewheres now. I tell you, Dodge, it ain't square.' "'I'll square it. I pay my debts,' replied Duane. 
but I can't put up here all night. If I belonged to the gang, it'd be different. What gang? asked Fletcher, bluntly. Why, Chesseldean's. Fletcher's beard nodded as his jaw dropped. Duane laughed. I run into him the other day. Knowed him on sight. Sure, he's the kingpin rustler. When he seen me and asked me what reason I had for being on earth, or some such like, why, I up and told him. Fletcher appeared staggered. Who in all fired hell are you talking about? Didn't I tell you once? Chesseldine. He calls himself Longstreth over there. All of Fletcher's face, not covered by hair, turned a dirty white. Chesseldine? Longstreth? He whispered hoarsely. Gord Almighty! You braced the— Then a remarkable transformation came over the outlaw. He gulped. He straightened his face. He controlled his agitation. But he could not send the healthy brown back into his face. Duane, watching this rude man, marveled at the change in him, the sudden checking movement, the proof of a wonderful fear and loyalty. It all meant Chesseldine, a master of men. "'Who are you?' queried Fletcher, in a queer, strained voice. "'You gave me a handle, didn't you? Dodge. That's as good as any. Sure, it hits me hard. Jim, I've been pretty lonely for years, and I'm getting in need of pals. Think it over, will you? See you manana.' The outlaw watched Duane go off after his horse, watched him as he returned to the tavern, watched him ride out into the darkness, all without a word. Duane left the town, threaded a quiet passage through cactus and mesquite to a spot he had marked before, and made ready for the night. His mind was so full that he found sleep aloof. Luck at last was playing his game. He sensed the first slow heave of a mighty crisis. The end, always haunting, had to be sternly blotted from thought. It was the approach that needed all his mind. He passed the night there, and late in the morning, after watching trail and road from a ridge, he returned to Ord. If Jim Fletcher tried to disguise his surprise, the effort was a failure. Certainly he had not expected to see Duane again. Duane allowed himself a little freedom with Fletcher, an attitude hitherto lacking. That afternoon a horseman rode in from Bradford, an outlaw evidently well known and liked by his fellows, and Duane heard him say, before he could possibly have been told the train robber was in Ord, that the loss of money in the hold-up was slight. Like a flash, Duane saw the luck of this report. He pretended not to have heard. In the early twilight, at an opportune moment, he called Fletcher to him, and, linking his arm within the outlaws, he drew him off in a stroll to a log bridge spanning a little gully. Here, after gazing around, he took out a roll of bills, spread it out, split it equally, and without a word handed one half to Fletcher. With clumsy fingers Fletcher ran through the roll. Five hundred! he exclaimed. Dodge, that's damn handsome of you, considering the job wasn't— Considering nothing, interrupted Duane, I'm making no reference to a job here or there. You did me a good turn. I split my pile. If that doesn't make us pards, good turns and money ain't no use in this country. 
Fletcher was one. The two men spent much time together. Twain made up a short, fictitious history about himself that satisfied the outlaw, only it drew forth a laughing jest upon Duane's modesty. For Fletcher did not hide his belief that this new partner was a man of achievements. Nell and Poggin, and then Cheseldine himself, would be persuaded of this fact, so Fletcher boasted. He had influence. He would use it. He thought he pulled a stroke with Nell. But nobody on earth, not even the boss, had any influence on Poggin. Poggin was concentrated ice, part of the time. All the rest he was bursting hell. But Poggin loved a horse. He never loved anything else. It could be won with that black horse bullet. Cheseldine was already won by Duane's monumental nerve. Otherwise he would have killed Duane. Little by little the next few days Duane learned the points he longed to know, and how indelibly they etched themselves in his memory. Cheseldine's hiding-place was on the far slope of Mount Ord, in a deep, high-walled valley. He always went there just before a contemplated job, where he met and planned with his lieutenants. Then while they executed, he basked in the sunlight before one or another of the public places he owned. He was there in the Ord den now, getting ready to plan the biggest job yet. It was a bank robbery, but where, Fletcher had not as yet been advised. Then when Twain had pumped the now amenable outlaw of all details pertaining to the present, he gathered data and facts and places covering a period of ten years. Fletcher had been with Cheseldine and herewith was unfolded a history so dark in its bloody regime, so incredible in its brazen daring, so appalling in its proof of the outlaw's sweep and grasp of the country from Pecos to Rio Grande, that Duane was stunned. Compared to this Cheseldine of the Big Ben, to this rancher, stock-buyer, cattle speculator, property-holder, all the outlaws Duane had ever known sank into insignificance. The power of the man stunned Duane. The strange fidelity given him stunned Duane. The intricate inside working of his great system was equally stunning. But when Duane recovered from that, the old terrible passion to kill consumed him, and it raged fiercely, and it could not be checked. If that red-handed Poggin... If that cold-eyed, dead-faced Nell had only been at Ord! But they were not, and Duane, with help of time, got what he hoped was the upper hand of himself. End of chapter.